Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor Right through the door and all around the wall A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor Alright, welcome back to the Escape Pod This is Ryan And Nathan Hello Nathan, how are you? I'm good, how are you Ryan? I am doing pretty well. I'm I'm uh, experiencing some better weather on my side of the escape pod right now than I think you are. Yeah, it's 106. Oh man, yeah, it's you're 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 on the wrong side. It's like 75 over here. That's not bad. I actually don't mind the hot weather. It's just that it doesn't cool off at night. Yeah, people say that a lot. I almost never believe them, but that's a thing people say. I I think I genuinely don't mind the heat. You go out in the middle of the day gardening with a hot cup of coffee, and <laughs> it's just some sort of ins- no water. Yeah, some sort of insanity that just feels good. Uh, yeah, hallucinogenic levels of that's right of heat yeah. and dehydration. You're on a vision quest, man. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T minus. Well, this week we are reviewing 1958's The Blob, the original Blob, and and you were just saying how you were excited to have some older movies on the list, but now you're not as excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's what I said. So we've listened to The Black Hole, Battlestar Galactica, and I just feel like stuff that's from our youth is, I don't know, just real, real at home talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This I is agree. almost like watching, I don't know, a foreign film or something. <laughs> so you don't have a history with this movie? I, I've ne- no, I had never seen it. I mean, I know about it. Oh, it's really? It's a big deal, but no, I had never seen it. I, uh, I've seen it many, many, many times as a kid on um, UHF on Sunday afternoons. Right. You know, there's Saturday morning cartoons. And then Sunday, you might get a cartoon, and then it would quickly turn into the Three Stooges and things of this nature, and then there would always be monster movies. Did you have a local clown? I think there was the Bozo Show. We had our own local version of that. And Marla's three, there he goes. Get him, Mom. (laughs) That sounds absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up outside of Denver, and we I don't remember any UHF channels, but Channel 2 is independent. Huh. And we had some crazy clown with a kid's show, and, like, you know, you sent in a letter to tell them it was your, you know, when your birthday is going to be, and then they put your name on the <laughs> screen, that kind of crap. And then they played, they played public domain black and white cartoons. It was horrible. It felt like punishment to watch it, but there was nothing else to do. Right. When did that air? It was either Saturday or Sunday morning. Yeah, that Saturday morning was the big blowout of cartoons. And then Sunday was a much stranger affair because Network wasn't doing cartoons on Sunday. Right. So UHF picked up the, uh, well, it's, what do the kids want to watch? And I mean, you're right. Yeah, it was all of the stuff you could more or less publicly source at that point. Like Three Stooges or a Marx Brothers movie. Of course, Godzilla and Kung Fu Theater was on. And then uh, something like The Blob, which I saw many times, and so I've never seen it as an adult. I was very excited to return to it and see how it uh, <laughs> see how it held up, which is what this program is all about. Segway. <laughs> it is something to note. I, I dug a little bit, and this was filmed exactly as part of a template that they were doing in the late 50s. Made for drive-in movies, made for teenagers to go and see. And studios were cranking these out. The budget on this was $120,000, 1958 
and they actually came in at 110. They came in under budget to shoot this movie, which that holds up. I can see that it coming in under budget. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the fact that it was the fact that it was color and the color was pretty nice. I kind of like the colors. Pretty saturated. Yeah. I don't know what the Criterion collection looked like. It's probably brilliant looking. They probably gave it the the business. Yeah, that was that was Criterion collection. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. Well, then it looked great. Yeah, it did. All right, so it came in under budget at $110,000 to make and it grossed 4 million at the box office. Oh, that's that's big. Yeah, that's great. People loved it. And it was billed as a double feature. It traveled around the country with I Married a Monster from Outer Space, which I have not seen. And I think we mentioned at the end of, at the end of last week's show, I mentioned the theme song to you. Yeah. What did you think about that? I remembered we talked about it, but I didn't remember that the opening music is actually the Blob theme song because it takes a while yeah. for the vocals to come in. It's like cheery, like I don't know, beach party music. Like I honestly thought it was it's gonna cocktail fade. jazz. Yeah, cocktail jazz. Okay, so but I really did think it was gonna fade to an, like party scene. Like this music was part of the setup. It's up. gonna fade, fade up from black, and we're in the middle of a groovy late fifties, uh, mid-century modern cocktail party. Then all of a sudden, these lyrics, I don't even remember what the lyrics are, but it's like... Oh, I could sing it to you, because I used to cover it in, <laughs> during... Oh, that's right. For Halloween shows, uh, for an old band of ours, but I won't. I'll let the uh, I'll let Bert Backrack and the Five Blobs sing it for us. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor. As long as we're talking about the opening, mm-hmm. the other thing that I, I noticed was that the um, film credit was for Stephen McQueen. Uh, have you ever heard of this guy? I've never heard of Stephen McQueen, the oldest kid in the high school. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I think they're supposed to be high school students, or maybe they're just out of high school. The way he acts, I think that he does a, a great job, but he acts like he's a teenager. Oh, I thought the opposite. Oh, really? I mean, I feel like he, when like, especially when the when the cop is kind of, you know, they get stopped by the police and he's, he's very chagrined to be getting yelled at by a cop in front of his girl. And also, you know, he needs to be someplace else and he's trying to be a wise guy, but also placiate the cop. But he, he looks very, you know, that he's being talked down to by an adult. And he's all, gee whiz, mister, and it's overdoing it for what teenagers sounded like then. I can only assume, but this is definitely a, a 50s film teenager. I guess throughout the movie, he's, because he's kind of tall, and he, he really plays it hunched over. Like That's, his head, his neck's always sticking forward. That was the problem with it for me, was that he's, his posture is that, that of like a 50-year-old. He's like, <laughs> he's very unathletic. He's, he has the face of like, I mean, he's 28 in real life when this is filmed, but he looks like he's in his mid thirties. Yeah, and, he does. I mean, like, uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but, but yeah, that but posture okay. was just like him sort of an old man, like rambling <laughs> around. I read it as, uh, you know, sheepish. Like, yeah. Like maybe he was a little bit bookish. Yeah. And he was, uh. You know, that, that thing of like, yeah, sit up straight, kid, you know, like you're slacking. Like he's a little bit like hands in his pockets, like, oh, okay, mister. Sorry, mister. But he was definitely like a smart guy. He wasn't like a jock or anything like that. He didn't have the confidence of some of his his young white supremacist buddies that he ran into later. <laughs> That's how I read him anyway. The picture opens on a, on a makeout. With uh, Steve McQueen and the the leading lady who is played by uh, Inetta Corson, whom has a she later on in life. After this, she becomes a a regular character on Andy Griffith's show. Yeah, and well, she was yeah not just a regular character, but was she a full she, cast member? Well, she was. Well, I she wasn't in every episode, show. but she was, I can't remember which love interest she was, but she was regularly, I think, tell me, love interest. Tell me it was Don Knotts' love interest. Yeah, I don't think it was. I think it was God, I, I, think it was I love thinking but... about 
Don Knotts acting He's awkward so around women. <laughs> <laughs> He's so great. Oh my god. That's the only reason to watch that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway. Was, he, was Don Knotts in any sci-fi? It's got to be something. We'll look into it. Computing. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. Don Knotts starred in the 1967 film, The Reluctant Astronaut. Look at me, I'm an astronaut. <laughs> opens on a kiss, opens on the back of Steve's head. And they're up there parking somewhere, or sparking somewhere, as they used to say. As my parents told me, anyway. It looks like they're just, it's so, I mean, a lot of this is shot day for night, how they used to do. Yeah. But they've got the blue filter on. Yeah, and they they you know they crank down the aperture so less light gets in. And um, but they, they look like they're standing in front of the headlights basically, for this nighttime makeout. They're very brightly lit. He's talking about how he loves to come up there and see the stars because they see a shooting star, and right away she kind of gets the idea that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of them out at night. You don't see him in town. That's why I come up here. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I mean. I mean, you can see him better up here. I know what you mean, Steve. Oh, he takes all the girls up here kind of thing. And she's just being uh, taken advantage of her sweet, young, trusting self. But he swears up and down that that's not the case. I like how she had a moment where she scolded him I think I forget what he called her. I think it was I Janie. Called her like Jane, Janie girl or something. Yeah, and she's like, "My name is Jane." No, just Jane. No, no, that's not what you think, Janie girl. My name is Jane. Just Jane. Oh. But anyway, yeah. So she's like, "Yeah, my name is Jane." <laughs> yeah, don't call me that. I liked that. Yeah. They call me hell. They call me Stacy. They call me hell. And then we get a, uh, you know, a much closer meteorite. And you can kind of see an explosion from over the hill. And he's all excited about it. And he wants to go check it out. Right. And they go around. It's ramp- not a meteorite yet. Right. They just see a meteor. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, that you're welcome. <laughs> I wanted to let it go. I couldn't. Don't, don't let it go. Right. We're going to get letters. Right. So, yeah, he wants to find it. Oh, that was close. Hey, come on. I want to see if I can find it. I would want to find it too. But you know it's not over the next hill when you see these things, these fireballs in the sky. Never. Sometimes you think it's striking right next door and it's really miles away. But it looked like from the animation that they saw a little bit of a blast. Yeah. So yeah, that led them to think that maybe they could find it. So they go on this meteor hunt. And we cut to a Appalachian cabin dwelling hillbilly guy with a yappy dog, and he's all, "What's going on out here?" And he gets his lantern, goes for a little stroll, and and finds a little crater with a little perfectly spherical meteorite. In it. The cutest crater ever created, and the cutest meteorite. It's it's cartoon classic looking meteorite, and. I love the way it looks. I, I mean, as a kid, I loved this thing. And it was larger than I remember it being, actually. It's just like the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, a big grapefruit. Uh-huh. And he kind of, you know, like you would, gets a pokey stick, starts poking it. Yeah, poke it with a stick. Uh-huh. And then it breaks open. It's like a gumball. It's like one of those candies that has a, it's got a soft core. When you start poking something with a stick, is there a point at which you know to stop poking it with a stick? Uh, you know, I think if I saw that soft core, I would kind of give it a a precursory poke as well. But he just really gets right in there. <laughs> yeah, he's he. This guy is committed to poking with a stick. Sticks There's it. no moments of <laughs> consideration, but <laughs> all the way in. And and so this this gelatinous mass now is. It's just stuck on the end of his stick, and then he he turns the stick over, and it, it's kind of coming up the stick. And then they do a great, you know, little bit of reverse shot, so it looks like it quickly grabs his hand. 
And now he's screaming. It definitely hurts. Yeah, he's not happy about it. No, he's not happy about it at all. Cut back to Steve and Anita and their... You know, they can't find it. And he's like, well, all right, let's maybe just go back to town and I'll make it up to you with a sandwich. You know, the best decision I ever made was stepping into the store and buying that first sandwich. Which I thought was <laughs> they're eating sandwich, cold sandwiches at like 10 o'clock at night, I guess. <laughs> yeah. A small town always has a, a sandwich place open. Sure. In the middle, in the middle of the night. I, definitely the the... The time frame of this is hard to understand. When it's she the whole liked thing. the idea, though. Oh, she was super psyched about it. You know, he sort of won her over, even though, you know, he brought her to his regular spot, mm-hmm. fucked up her name. Mm-hmm. She's given him some breaks. He's like, they're kind of in makeout session, and he's immediately like, oh, oh, we, we got to go find it, you know, and jumps in the front seat, and she's like, all right, cool, you know. Yeah, she's willing to go along. Yeah. They seem like they're definitely having a good time just being in each other's company, and that's important when you're on a yeah, date. I like know. Jane. I like her, too. She doesn't get a lot to do, but she gets to speak her mind a few times, and uh, she shows some courage. You know, it's it's for a 1958 female lead. I feel like she's probably got more to do than a lot of others <laughs> might. <laughs> Which is still very little. Still very yeah. little. So they're going to head back to town, and then uh, this old man runs out into the road like a scared deer, and they almost hit him. Steve, watch out! And he's got the thing on his hand, and, oh, we better take him to the doctor, and they wrap a jacket around his hand. Nice suede. You're not getting that suede jacket back. You know, we, we cut to the country doctor's office. Oh, wait. Hmm. I just want to cover one thing first. Because oh, yeah, please. Go in ahead. The, in the original... In the title credit, hmm. introducing the teenagers is a credit. Oh, does that come into play right here? They're racing to the doctor's office, and he's... At first, it seems like he's just honking his horn at his speedometer. Because <laughs> they haven't established that there's a, a car in front of him. All right, we <laughs> don't see it in yet. on the speedometer. And he's honking, <laughs> and then he's like, come on, come on. I'm like, is your car breaking down? Oh, no, there's a car in front of you, and he passes mm-hmm. it. Turns out three fellas in a hot roddy kind of car, and uh, they don't like this. Hey, who's the cowboy? It's no cowboy, that's Steve Andrews. What? Yeah, that's his container. It's a real dog. Well, he can't do that to us. This is important because these people will beat characters in this film. And then, yeah, he gets to the doctor's office and he gets to the doctor's office. We cut. Well, we cut to the the doctor's on the phone and he's basically talking to his housekeeper or whatever, because he's about to head out of town. And I still can't tell what time of night this is. It feels like it's like 10 o'clock at night, but it really can't be. It feels like, yeah, the whole movie is late night. Right. And he's like, he's ready to go on his trip now. Yeah, right. Wow, okay. And he leaves. All right, so he walks out. He hangs up the phone, puts his coat on, his hat on, and he walks out the front door, and he takes the chewing gum out of his mouth to stick the piece of paper to his front door saying, when he'll be back. (laughs) I swear to God. I I totally missed that. (laughs) It's like, that's, you know, this is uh, pre-sticky note. Still, they, they must have had tape. You'd think. Steve and Anita roll up and they got this old man and bring him in and they, they take a look at this horrible gelatinous thing on his hand. And it's like, well, he's like, whoa, all right, well, why don't you go see? It's growing. Yeah, it's bigger. It's bigger than before. Mm-hmm. And so he asked Steve and Anita to go see if they can find him where this guy came from and check out that situation. So Steve and Jane, they walk outside and uh-oh. There's some some rough dudes hanging out on Steve's car. 
Mm-hmm. They start kind of giving him the business. I guess it's supposed to be a little suspenseful, like, uh-oh. Like, but there's no urgency between Steve and Jane to get on this mission. They hauled this guy in. I guess they just think, like, we did the good deed. The doctor wants us to go look into this, but it's not, it's not critical that we do it right away. So they're sort of jawing with these teenagers. I was very surprised at this. Yeah. I thought he was going to be like, we just got it. Look, we got to go. We got this important thing. And that was going to be the tension. Yeah. But it, they, they forgot all about it. Yeah, I thought for sure it was going to be, give me my car. We got to do something. And they're going to be like, you're not getting your car until, you know, we settle this disrespect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, no, like, we got to go. We got to go. But no, it was just like, let's have some fun here. And hey, let's do a car race. Yeah. That's what you do in the 50s. Yeah, it tricks them into a backwards car race. Yeah, so then there's something about the streetlight. It looks like Steve has some clever idea on how to get them into trouble. They cut to it. There's a cop car hiding. It looks like Steve's going to be clever and figure out some way to get these kids in trouble so that he can race off in the other direction, maybe. But that's not what happens. They race backwards. Steve stops. And then the cop walks over and is like... What the hell are you doing? All right. What's this all about? Hi, Dave. Hey, what's up? Huh? I seem to be missing something. What's going on? Yeah, I think the idea was he traps them on the other side of the intersection. He stops short of going into the intersection. They go all the way across, and then the light changes red, and he's kind of like, nah, nah, like now you're trapped by the red light, and I'm going to get out of here. Like, that's what I thought was going to happen. Then the cop car drives up, and he's on the former side of the traffic light, and he's like, We're just sitting here waiting for the light. Cop's like, Oh, you mean that light down there? You mean the one way up there? Like the next intersection? So his clever plan wasn't that clever anyway, and it backfired on him. And you do know you're on the wrong side of the road. So, yeah. So this is where we we meet Lieutenant Dave who looks like 10 years younger than Steve. But he's but Lieutenant Dave is the adult and he's the cop and so we established that Dave is you know not a terrible cop which I think is hard to believe that one exists maybe but that's that old 50s you know ideal of your local beat cop in your small town kind of knowing everybody right just trying to maintain order and you know, just be cool, everybody. Which I don't think that was ever really a thing. The cop kind of verbally traps him a little bit. Sheriff, he's not a sheriff, but Officer Lieutenant Dave. Steve's finally like, I'll never do it again. Do what again? Huh? What was it yeah. you were doing? And he gets it out of him that they were driving backwards. And he's like, come on, what are you guys clowning around for? He's like, all right, all right, all right. Sorry. Golly. We'll be good. And then they're... <laughs> That's when they're basically like, oh, I almost forgot. We got to go run this errand for that doctor. You remember that man with that crazy thing on his hand we brought into town? (laughs) Somehow they invite the teenagers that they were having the beef with. Oh, it turns out that they're all buddies. Yeah. So now they're all going to go together. Well, those guys are like, hey, we want to go to the movies. We're going to the flicks, the midnight flick. They talk him into uh, driving out to the hills with him. Yeah, and Steve's like, you got time anyway, just to further confuse what time it is. Exactly. <laughs> we still don't know. <laughs> like, ah. Sure, good luck at this time of night. Yeah. yeah. They, they quickly cut back to the doctor's office and he's, where he's calling his nurse back in to work. And we get a shot of him. Like, he kind of pulls his glasses down off of his nose to look with his unaided eyes. And the camera switches so that they pull, like dirty ass glass down from in front of the lens <laughs> and like see clearer it's like first of all <laughs> right. clean your glasses second of all it doesn't look like you actually need them man that was like an assistant director with like an idea that he thought would be great you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they had a couple uh yeah unusual shots like that we cut back to our gang if it wasn't for those pesky kids what am I going to do with you kids? They're out there snooping around and they they find the cabin and the meteorite crater and uh, and the meteorite casing and they're kind of dicking around with it. And it's still hot, apparently. 
You mean that this little pebble's been out there hot riding around the universe? Probably big as a moon when it started. No kidding. Let me see a mooch. And Steve smells it. Hmm. Like a lot. Yeah. You want to know a lot about a rock, you're going to smell it. Definitely. I've smelled a lot of rocks in my days. How about you? Well, no, not that many. No? Have you ever smelled a space rock? I haven't. I would imagine that there's a variety of smells. It's toasty. Is it like yeah. like salami toasty? or My, my space like rock smells, toasty? smells like a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's more like a brioche. And then they toss it back and forth a lot. Like, I thought they were trying to make it really clear that everybody touched it. So everybody's caught the rock. Yeah, they were playing a little hot potato. Which I guess that's all that was. I thought it was important, but spoiler alert, it's not important that they touched it. doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter at all. Oh, they they hear the, the old man's dog. Yeah, this little dog that's yapping. Mm-hmm. And one, somebody says something along the lines of, sounds like there's a house over there. <laughs> and one of the well, one of the teenagers goes, that doesn't sound like a house. It sounds like a dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a great I thought that was a great line by that yeah. guy. Yeah, early stand up routine by Yeah, he got a he got a real zinger in there. <laughs> it's just off the cuff. <laughs> He's the funny guy of the friend group. That's why they were introduced as the teenagers. I think I think probably whoever did this Paramount. Yeah, they distributed it. Yeah, they probably like signed these guys as a group mm. and they were like introducing the teenagers and they were going to be like the funny guys in all their teenager movies. But They'd be the comic relief in all the drive-in monster movies they were making. I don't think it happened. One and done, guys. Dun, dun, dun. Back to the doctor's office. Kate, who is the nurse, she showed up. The doctor's more and more concerned. This blob is growing. He thinks he's going to have to amputate the arm. He seems like he has a pretty good grasp on what it's doing he says like it absorbs flesh on contact like an acid to dissolve and absorb this man's arm basically he seems to get it through observation the basics of what's going on which i thought was pretty cool well that's that's the whole idea of being a doctor i think i guess so he's he's doing a good job is what i'm saying okay yeah yeah he's he's fine he's great I don't remember exactly what happens like the body gets up oh the body disappears she goes in moving yeah, he sends her in to check on him, but don't touch the material on the other arm. And she walks in and the table's just empty. Doctor? Where is he? What do you mean? Right. And the blob is in the corner. Yeah, she turns around and there's the blob. They're kind of trapped. You know, he's like, don't move, don't move. And Kate, stand still. Don't move. And then he tells her to move. He tells her to go over to the other side of the room and get some kind of acid that he's got sitting on his desk and throw it at the blob. But be careful not to get any on yourself. Right. Good advice. Mm-hmm. Which she does successfully. She throws the acid and it. I thought, man, that did something. But they let us know it didn't do anything. Didn't do a damn thing. So then he thinks, shoot it. Uh, Right. A gun in my den. I've got to go for it, Kate. Yeah. But while she could have just stayed where she was, she just suddenly falls over and causes a power outage by knocking over a lamp. Mm -hmm. And then the blob gets her. And she goes without a whimper. Yeah. We don't hear a scream. Nothing. It must have just jumped right on her head. Yeah. I thought probably she's just going to crawl out of the room. Okay, mm-hmm. but not the case. No such luck. While he's fiddling with like his double-barreled shotgun in the other room, he, he comes back in and he, and he gets off a couple licks. It looks cool. But they, it, of course, it doesn't do anything. So about this time, Steve and Anita sh- show up at the doc's house. It doesn't look like there's anybody here. Yeah. The door's locked. Listen, I'm going to check in the garage to see if the doc's car's there. Oh, okay. And he goes around the side yard and we see in the office window... The doctor's flailing torso and the blob is on his head. It happens so fast you can't really tell what you're seeing. But it scares the shit out of Steve McQueen. Yeah. Luckily, we don't have to see it because the movie will rely on the time-honored special effect of telling us what happened. 
Only it was bigger, and then, then it was on his old head, and then in, in, in just a second he disappeared. He disappeared? He was all gone. He was all gone. You know, he just disappeared Steve, just a second. what are you second. talking about? I feel like he does a good job of acting, like, kind of in shock and fear. Yeah, he seemed really distraught. Yeah, he seemed really disturbed by it. And then he kind of rallies, and she's like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, he says, we'll go to the, the police. police will know They'll what know to what do. to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because they deal with this kind of thing uh, all the time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and it turns out they don't know what to do. They don't even believe him, of course. Dave is willing to listen, and there's an extra short cop uh, who... I was going to comment on that as well. That man is teeny tiny. When he walks out of the room... Yeah, that's what I noticed. <laughs> he looks like a little kid in like in a grown-up's uniform. Like tucking his big yeah. gun into his holster, and one of these kids are humiliating us. People come in all sizes. He doesn't want to do this, but Lieutenant Dave, rightly, you know, Steve and Anita come bursting into the police office saying that the doctor has been killed, murdered, murdered. So Lieutenant Dave is like, "Yeah, well, we gotta check it out. That's our job." Right. I think that's fair. I think that's the right reaction. It's. I think it's totally the correct reaction. They get over to the doctor's house, they get inside, and they do a couple haunted house things. You know, he's trying the light switch, the light switch isn't working. Oh, and when they're in they're in the operating room looking around, he's like, Oh, this is what must have caused the short, and he just is moving evidence all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Picking up the light, moving it around. Hmm, okay. The little cop is definitely like it's part of that plan to make us look silly. And this is the second time that Jane speaks up. I think you're doing that pretty well by yourself, Sergeant. Oh, yeah, that was a zinger. Yeah, good on Jane. Yep. Dave liked that. I think yeah. Dave gave a smile. I think Dave was like, yep, right on. In this office sequence, I don't even know if this is interesting, but I noticed that on the top of a filing cabinet, there's like a giant book that just says polio. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you noticed Dates that. this movie. Sure. I thought it's, I couldn't decide of what it said. I thought it said polio. <laughs> like, Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, isn't it? <laughs> no, I thought it said like the word that is Spanish for chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Pollo. I'm glad you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you cleared that up for me because I noticed it and I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> I guess he's really into chicken. Yeah. And he speaks oh, Spanish. I wish it did That's say pollo. <laughs> yeah. But polio, that makes a lot more sense. Yes, I would like a basket of chips. I would like a beef chimney. What is, what is, what is, what is the polio asylum? That's the chicken. Okay, what is the carne asylum? That's the beef. Okay, let me get two carne asado tacos. With extra chicken. With extra polio, please. Your dick face, motherfucker. <laughs> so we get this scene with the crazy neighbor lady who shows up wandering around the house. I guess she's supposed to look at, keep an eye on the doctor's house while he's out of town. And she is complete disdain for the, for the teenagers. Yeah, and whoever did this, you know, she thinks it was a robbery or a vandalism. Mm-hmm. And is just she now she's moving evidence all over the place, and, yeah, and Dave double is doing standard his best Dave. To tell her to yeah, stop. yeah. <laughs> it's like right. He's like, it's okay if I do it because I'm a cop. But uh huh. Exactly. On. She is a pain in the ass. There's a criminal walking around out there, free as a bird. So then the short cop is finally like, "You jokesters, this is a load of crap." Blah blah blah. Where's the monster? Yeah, your big bad monster. Dave's like, I don't know. If everything happened like you said it did, where's the doctor? And where's this old man? And where's the big bad monster? Dun, dun, dun. There's a mechanic under a car talking to himself. He gets blobbed. <laughs> He's talking about how he's going hunting this weekend and getting totally shit-faced. And if his boss has anything to say about it on Monday, well, he's going to give him what for. And his coworker walked out on him while he was talking. Yeah, he's like, all right, good night, buddy, whatever. 
I I do like I do like this scene. It's very fast and it's just to show us that there's victims happening. But I like that we just see you just get his legs sticking out from under the automobile. Yeah, uh, and then they get pulled under. Yeah. <laughs> that scene as a little kid I, was so tension filled to me, but not so much now. No. All right, so now the cops have taken the kids back to the police station. And the parents have been called. This is how we know that they're teenagers, like 17 at the most, right? Yeah. 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. Yeah. Their parents aren't getting called. They're not adults. Steve doesn't want his dad brought into this. Jane's not thrilled. What I don't understand is that at no point does Jane say that she saw the doctor, right? Like the police are saying, the doctor's not here. The doctor went on a trip. The caretaker lady, she's like, no, sir. The doctor don't know anything about this. He called me just before he left. And so they're like, the doctor's not here. The doctor's probably gone on some trip. They don't believe Steve because they think this is a prank. And maybe they wouldn't believe Jane either. But she never says, look, we brought a patient in. The doctor was here. We, <laughs> we gave the patient to the doctor. Yeah, they completely neglect to tell the cops about the old man with a crazy thing on his hand. That they yeah. brought to the doctor. They make a pact to uh, to sneak out. Keep on this thing. They're in this thing together. At some point, one cop's talking to another cop. Dave is talking mm. to somebody about mm-hmm. there's some asshole cop. And the guy's like, Why didn't you book the kids in? Why make a big thing of it tonight if we can clear the whole thing up tomorrow? Boy, if it was Bertie, he'd have them strung up by the thumbs by now. Maybe he would. They give... Birdie, a little bit of a backstory of why he doesn't like teenagers so much. A little tiny bit of backstory. Well, and I was trying, I have something in my notes, and that just reminded me about what it was. They say uh, a teenager killed his wife on the turnpike. Just because some kid smacks into his wife on the turnpike doesn't make it a crime to be 17 years old. I guess. They don't say explicitly that she was killed, even. They don't. They don't. It's implied. But I, I uh... thought turnpike. Yeah, this town's not near a turnpike. Well, it is, actually. Oh, it is? Okay, It's actually very close to where I am right now. Oh, this is a real town? It's a real place. I was like, turnpike? You know, there's a turnpike in Pennsylvania. There aren't that many states that have turnpikes. I don't know. What is a turnpike? A turnpike is a toll road. All right. Like, Jersey has a turnpike, and Pennsylvania has a turnpike. And, And then I started listening to the names of towns they were mentioning. And I'm like, wait a minute. So when I when I was looking up information on the movie, it was actually filmed in Phoenixville and Dansboro, PA, and other places like this that are about 40 miles south of me, where I am now. So that was just funny. Tickled me. Yeah. You could do a little road trip. Yeah, go relive the blob. Moving right along. The kids go and sneak out. They both get a little sneak out scene. Anita's sneaking out in her... her classic 50s little brother comes down in his bunny feet pajama onesie and a teddy bear. I thought you were going to say her classic 50s sneak out outfit, which is like a full gown. Well, they're sure. She's ready. She's like wearing a full length dress that's got the, the, I don't know, whatever the chiffon. They're going out. But yeah, no, this brother. uh, another, Another situation where like an older person is playing a younger person. Yeah, he's definitely talking like, like he's five, but he's clearly ten or something. Know, this kid's, yeah, like eight to ten. He's playing a four-year-old and probably a four-year-old that's like mentally deficient in some way. Aren't you afraid to go out by yourself? This is the loudest sneak out ever. Hey, Ray, where are you going? Oh, shh, Daddy. Protect Mom and Dad. I'm going out. Okay, bye. See ya. (laughs) Slam front door. But I thought that the Jane and Steve getting the car out of the garage. They did a good job. They did. Like he even like lifts the garage a little bit. See, this is I remember this from being a kid. Like the sneak out. Yeah, there's a lot of thought that has to go into it. So I think he's opening. He opens the garage a little bit. It hits the noisy point, and then he waits. Because he knows that most noisy moment is drawing the attention of his parents. Uh-huh. And they're listening for the rest of the opening. But they're not hearing it because he's not opening he's it. He's doing a good job. 
And those two big steel 50s cars are crammed into that garage. I thought for sure they were just going to close those doors like normal. <sighs> but they don't. Like, as they're, as they're rolling away, Jane's like, she pulls the door in until it's like an inch or two away from being closed and just holds it there as they roll off. Jane knows how to sneak out. They knew what they were doing. Maybe Jane's not as innocent as she lets on. No. She's Janie. Janie, Janie girl. girl. That's not my name. So, oh, but before, go ahead. Right before they actually steal the car, Jane and Steve have a little discussion. Steve is trying to let her off the hook, saying, like, you don't have to be involved. I don't know what to do. There's like a really, like at this moment in time, a really poignant quote where Steve says, well, Now what do we do? How do you get people to protect themselves from something they don't believe in? That's cool. Ooh. Did that not hit you? I, I was just like, oh, fuck. Way to bring me out of the movie and make me think about goddamn summer of sure. 2020. Thank you. Right on. Yeah, poignant for our times and, and a lot of history, for sure. I guess it went over my head. I was... I was bored by the recap of Exposition. He described the whole events of the first part of the movie, but in a much less fun way than we just did. And <laughs> and then he got to that point, and I was kind of like, boy, get on with it. Jane also has her moment in this where she basically, she doesn't talk to him as in, like, you can do this. She talks to him, but is like, this is important, and we need to go do this. And I like this, the fact that they were really presented as partners in this moment. Agreed. It's a little stupid, but she had her moment where it was important. Oh, it is. I think it's totally important. They are both in this thing together. Well, we're in this together, aren't we, Steve? Uh, excuse me. They're like, okay, well, what do you do with something like this? And his response is, you go out and look for it. Yeah. <laughs> Just stands to reason. <laughs> and so and, they do. And so they do. But don't they, don't they also decide that they need help? They decide that they need help, so they're going to go try to round up some round up some friends to help them out. So they go to the movie theater. Yeah, they go to the movie theater, which is the Colonial Theater. I think great-looking old movie theater. They're watching something with Bella Lugosi. Yeah, I try to get the title because for the era, I mean, it could have been an old one, but I was thinking in my mind, I was like, oh, is this one of those Ed Wood movies with Bella Lugosi? Because it's the right era. It was a vampire or something. It was more clear and the... Well, later on, there's the iconic scene of people running mm-hmm. out of the theater, mm-hmm. and you could see it there. Check back in on that, maybe, but that, it, it was cool to see Bella Lugosi on the uh, header, on the marquee. And so, he, yeah, they go into the theater, and they're kind of, come on, guys, you got to help me with this. And I like that there's one old man at this movie theater full of teenagers who's like, you're going to shut up and watch the movie or get out of here. Right. What, what are, are you doing? doing? It's a midnight. Yeah. It's a midnight showing. <laughs> okay, you kids, knock it off. That was great. So he talks his friends into meeting him outside, and he's kind of like, "Would you believe me if I told you there was a monster, and it's up to us to beat it?" And they laugh, but they're basically like, "Okay, what do you want us to do?" Yeah, they really were all in pretty easily. Really get behind him on this. So we get a couple fun vignettes of these groups of teenagers off just going around town to different scenarios to try to warn people. <laughs> One is a, a loud cocktail party. Whoa! Hello, kids! Come on in! You're just in time for the fun! What is this party? Like, they're not... Are they not teenagers? No, that's like the, the 20-somethings. The yeah, yeah the... that's like the 20-something, like Hepcat 20-somethings. Yeah. Who are listening to like big band music, apparently. Right. It's not bebop or anything. No, or it's not like West Coast <laughs> jazz. No, it's it's like big band music, sort of, but they're wasted. Yeah. But they look the same age as the teenagers because they are. Yeah, they're all the same age, right. And then they mock them. It was pretty good. The, oh, the but host. They, they bring him in anyway and shut the door. We, we came here just to warn you. Oh, a warning! Well, that's yeah. fine. I didn't know you cared. That's the end of that scene. I imagine they're just getting drunk now. Yeah. And then the the two comic relief guys, they butt in on a some real big hunk making out with his chick in the woods. Oh, right. Yeah. 
So they probably got beat up. There's one more vignette. They go to a bar. They're speaking to the bartender. And they, they, the cops do get a report right before this about some guy like yelling some crazy shit outside of some bar. The teenagers go into this bar. And I like that these teenagers just walk into the bar and they're talking to the bartender. You must have been talking to that guy cruised in here from 2nd Street. Man, I don't know what they're serving over there tonight. Must be crazy. They're like, so you haven't seen a monster? And he's like, I have monsters in here all the time, so beat it. We don't serve kids anyway. <laughs> That's his answer. That's a great answer. We don't know if the dog had been killed, right? At some point. They brought the dog with him down from the mountain. At one point when they're in the doctor's office, Jane's like, where's the dog? And Oh, yeah. A couple times, I guess we have to assume maybe it got eaten, but we don't know. But then they find the dog outside the grocery store. Which I guess this is Steve's dad's grocery store? I don't think it's Steve's dad's grocery store. Yeah, I think that's what was implied. It was implied? How no. do you imply that? <laughs> what I mean is... Because I... the name of the grocery store is like Dad and yeah, Steve's Steve's grocery. dad's. Uh, no, there was dialogue. I did not pick dialogue. up on that. That's what I meant by implying. Okay. <laughs> There's actual dialogue. <laughs> and so they're in there looking around in the dark and the door's unlocked. Yeah, the door's unlocked, right? And he's like, he never says dad. No, he's looking for the cleanup guy. He says old Mr. Whatever. Oh, all right. Old Mr. Weatherpants that mops up. Right. And Steve creeps off looking for him and he trips over the mop bucket. But that's all we hear. And we're like, what happened? And she's like, Steve? And she turns around and there's the blob. But she's not blobbed. I thought she was going to get blobbed, but... They they kind of blob fake us, right? Yeah. She starts backing up, and it has one of those displays of 150 cans of soup stacked up. Yeah. The grocery stores apparently used to do. A real serious tripping hazard, which we discover. So she goes on her ass on all these soup cans. Ass over tea kettle, which is what my grandmother from the 50s would have said. Exactly. And... We get Steve looking down the aisle and you see the you kind of see the blob race across the floor towards the disturbance at the end of the aisle. So that's you think for sure. I mean, you know, she's not going to get it, but yeah. you think it's, it's got to be close. He, he thinks she's going to get it. And for some reason, he has a knife. I don't know where he found this knife, but he throws. Oh, the not knife. yet. Not oh, yet. No? Not yet. Oh, shit. He, he that's OK. He vaults over the aisle. And we find her, she's kind of dazed in the pile of Campbell's soup cans. And he picks her up and they run to the back into the meat kitchen. And he picks up a butcher knife there. Oh, well, that makes sense. And he starts hacking at the chain that's locked the back door. That's right. And we turn and the blob has come into the kitchen. And yeah, he just goes like, and he like wings it off camera. And we just kind of hear it go like, (laughs) yeah. You can't expect that's going to do anything. I, mean, I would have thrown it, too. I love the idea that he just chucks it and we hear yeah. like a, a thick sound off camera. Yeah. That Foley artist. I would have loved to have seen it just go right into the blob. Like, Whoop, but we don't get Did that. Did it bother you when you saw him hacking at the chain with the knife? Um, uh, a lot. It just makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. He's fucking up the knife. And it just, just seems like a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with all of that. It's not going to work. Steve, it's not going to work. Somebody's going to want that knife later. It's it's going to be really blunt and really frustrating. Bad knife etiquette. All right. So then they get in the meat locker. The dog is barking outside the meat locker. The walk-in. And there were all the giant chicken legs. Yeah. <laughs> is that what those were? <laughs> That's Man, what I thought they were as a little kid. Because, <laughs> I mean, they're beef sides uh, or yeah, legs sides of, of beef, beef. Yeah. yeah but they look just like giant chicken legs and as a little kid i was like what the fuck the blob starts oozing in under the door mm-hmm. so they're trapped and they're getting cold and then it starts to leave it goes back out they reverse the film there's a lot of great effects where it's clearly models and things where they're just like squeezing goo through little little spots Mm-hmm. speeding it up or slowing it down or reversing it so mm-hmm. that's fun and yeah so then uh the blob leaves which is not something we've seen the blob do 
right? They're baffled. And then you kind of hear the dog stop barking. We assume once again, scrappy little guy might have met his maker. Yeah, so then they, they, they meet up with the gang and they, they're like, it's in there. We know it's in the store and they're, we got to do whatever we can think of. Do you mean the teenagers? Yes, exactly. And Steve and Anita are, are swearing up and down that the blob is inside the store. And so they say, we got to do whatever we can think of. Which for these guys, which works well, they start honking all of the horns on their automobiles which kind of has a chain reaction and sets off this big hullabaloo in town where the air raid sirens are going off. Yeah. Their first idea actually was to call the cops. And they called the cops. Dave's gone home. Dave's not here, man. And it's Birdie, I guess, who is like, up yours, you and your dumb prank, we don't believe you. And mm-hmm. that's a dead end. So out of desperation the teenagers start doing yeah all the noise making which is which is great i guess i don't know it totally works we get a quick little played for comedy scene of a an old man jumping out of bed so this is 58 so he's probably a world war one guy (laughs) jumping out of bed and running into his closet and digging out his uh his civil civil defense white civil defense helmet that's right. He's like, air raid, that's an air raid siren. And then the fire sirens start going off and he's like, fire. And he pulls out his volunteer fireman's hat. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what to wear. Yeah, I guess we still do that with movies, right? It feels like so sort of jerky out of place. Like to it was. Have it was. Like vaudeville show up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that would have played, you know, to that audience you got to imagine you're watching this, you're in a theater full of teenagers, you're all smoking, you're all drunk. It's probably hysterical. <laughs> and they all have like, oh, that's my grandpa. Yeah, that's right. Adults are the dumbest. What a drag, man. <laughs> Everybody shows up. Fire department and all the townspeople are out in front of the store and Steve McQueen's kind of giving them to listen up, everybody. Listen up, we're in danger. There's a monster. But the cops show up, Lieutenant Dave shows up, and uh, I don't know how he kind of he kind of wins him over. Steve is like, Dave, look at me. Do I look like somebody's playing a practical joke? Am I laughing? Or am I, or am I scared stiff? Look at my eyes. Look at my face. Don't you see fear? Like, this isn't a prank. Oh, yeah, that was cool. And so, yeah, Lieutenant Dave, like, says, yeah, this he's telling the truth. And then Birdie says... Now, wait a minute. It's one thing to make a fool out of yourself, but it's another thing to make a fool out of the police department and the whole town. He's right, Lieutenant. You've been wrong before. You've been wrong before. Which I thought was weird, because that goes without any sort of explanation. And that's Oh, yeah. We, th- it's, What's that I backstory? I don't, I don't Yeah, we, there's so much we don't get to know about like, these cops. Some real, I mean. There's some real dark shit going on in this police department. Not, like, dark underhanded, necessarily, but, like... They've got some stories. Yeah. They've got some stories because they also keep referencing uh, Birdie's war record because of my war record. Yeah. Like, what? It What, man? Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? So they, they start to get control and tell everyone to go home. They're like, there is an emergency. It's all we can tell you. And it's Birdie that's doing this. Like he buys in. He starts taking orders again. And he's like, be careful backing up your cars. <laughs> There's a lot of cars here. You're, you're all parked askew. Let's take our time. Go slow. And here's a thing of a time in, a, you know, 1950s Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Their fire department is strictly a volunteer fire department. And they're not, like, hooked up with the cops in any ways. And they're kind of, like, just a bunch of schmoes standing yeah. around in firemen's raincoats. Like, well, you know, Dave will help out in any way we can. What do you want us to do? <laughs> and Dave's like, do you have guns? Yeah, well, we got a couple. <laughs> I love it. But it's great. It's such contrast. You know, no one was like a... And same way with the cops, too. But just such a different time. No one's like a total, like, pumped up authoritarian jock. Like, it looked like you and me could have been on that fire department. 
Well, yeah, I mean, later on, we have an interesting discussion between Dave and, and a fireman. The diner's on fire. Well, can we put it out? Any suggestions how? The fireman doesn't really know how to be a fireman. He knew a little bit about fire, it seemed like. Not much. <laughs> Kids are watching the movie. They're watching an ad for a real movie of the time. Suddenly, you know, the, the reel runs out. Now all the images of horror, the demons of your mind, crowd in on you to destroy you. They're at the grocery store from around the corner. All the teenagers come running, screaming. Yeah, we hear the screams in the distance. Like you said earlier, the iconic scene of complete panic and mayhem of what seems like hundreds of people pouring out of this little movie theater. <laughs> yeah. And for a midnight it's like showing, New York. Yeah, yeah. For a midnight showing, it's like every kind of person, well, every kind of white person is in this movie theater. Yeah. And did you see, there's an old lady, so it's just extras flooding out of the theater onto the street. Mm -hmm. And there's an old lady that totally owns this little kid, like her hand to his head as she com comes running out and she puts him to the ground as she runs by him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, none of this is choreographed. It's just extras like trying to be, you know, like, like, like they're, they're panicking and this kid just gets taken out. Nice. Pancaked by an old lady. Yeah. That's very There's cool. There's quite a few good spills. That's just the one I was going to point out. It's really complete pandemonium. Yeah. They're crisscrossing. And there's no safety. Nobody's wearing knee pads. There's no foam floor. The people that went down, I think it hurt. I think so, too. <laughs> and now it's Jane and Steve and Danny. Steve says, oh, there's no time to get out of here. And then all of a sudden the blob is covering the diner. So Dave's talking to Steve on the phone. They've got a phone in the squad car. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. That yeah, a receiver. Seem, yeah, it's just like a normal phone thing. That seemed lazy. <laughs> I mean, not like marooned where someone can break through onto the <laughs> CB. That's what I was expecting. Lieutenant Dave is like, we got an idea. <laughs> We're going to electrocute it. I don't think it can be killed, Steve, but we've got to try one more thing. Oh, okay. Is everybody all right? Okay, but not for long. So go somewhere safe. You got 60 seconds. We can drop a power line on it. You understand? Yeah. There should be enough juice in that line to burn the thing to a crisp. Uh, the blob is electrocuted and uh, no good. Doesn't do a shit. Except it sets the diner on fire. <laughs> right. And this is when Lieutenant Dave and the uh, chief of the volunteer fire department are having a discussion that, well, that's on fire. Doesn't really matter because there's not enough oxygen in there for it to burn very long anyway. That was his fire firemanly expertise. And they're also, they're starting to get smoke inhalation. Yeah, yeah. It's, they know it's on fire. And Jane tells Danny, just go to sleep. Everything will be uh -huh. fine. It'll be fine if you just go to sleep, kid. God, wouldn't it be great if Danny just went to sleep, she thinks. <laughs> I'm wondering why they don't just do random shit. Like, they're not really doing anything to this blob. I think they've done some not obviously trying. bad ideas, like shooting it and throwing knives into it. <laughs> Electrocuting it was all right. They're down in a cellar at a diner. There's got to be like a vat of hot oil somewhere. There's got to be cleaning products. Yeah, they've just given up. They definitely go to a space of reserve, of being, um, I'm sorry, not reserve, of resignation. You know, they kind of look at each other soulfully and are kind of like, well, I guess this is it. Hey, listen, Jane. It'll be all right. Death by blob. The guy who owns the diner, his name we never get, he's trying to put out some fires with a CO2 fire extinguisher. And Steve kind of notices that the blob is... Recoiling. Recoiling, exactly. And he kind of puts two and two together. <coughs> CO2. Hey, that's it. It's cold. That's why it didn't come in the icebox after it said, can't stand cold. He starts yelling up the stairs. Hey, Dave! Hey, Dave! Hey, Dave! Anybody on the phone? Hey. If the phone line is still open, if they can hear him, get all the CO2 fire extinguishers that they can. I know where there are 20 extinguishers of that type. Good. Where? At the high school. Who can go with me? Hey, right here, Mr. Martin. They basically contain it with the fire extinguishers. Yeah. 
and we have a one-sided conversation of of Lieutenant Dave talking to Washington, and they need it to be frozen solid. And I love that you know you only hear his side of the conversation. One of his responses is, "No, sir, a bomb would just spread it all over the country." Yeah. So the good thing Pentagon is definitely recommending they just blow it up, which I love. Right. They decide the best thing to do is to uh, airlift it to the Arctic. Yeah. They've got it frozen. They're going to contain it. They're going to put it somewhere cold so it stays frozen. And so they do it. We get another real tight. We don't really get to check back in with anybody so much. It just kind of cuts to a big lump on four parachutes. Yeah, they, they airdrop it. Yeah, out in the snow. And then uh, we get the big question mark at the end. The end turns into a question mark. But right before that, mm. we learned that this whole movie was a giant morality tale warning people about climate change. Because the very last quote, Lieutenant Dave says, it can't be killed, but at least we've got it stopped. And then Steve says, yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. Wow. What did you think? I liked it. <laughs> Are you surprised? <laughs> no, I, I was just waiting for you to say more. <laughs> uh, yeah. Without, I mean, I a, without a verbal cue. That's what I think. It's, you know, it's a, I like having a look at a piece of time. You know, this is a 1950s movie and... Uh, I love the outfits. I love the cars. Um, I love Steve McQueen as a teenager. I don't know. It was just fun. It wasn't. It didn't seem especially slow. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's dumb. It's a dumb movie about a blob. Uh huh. What What did you think? Did you like it? I did. I also enjoyed it. It didn't scare me like it did as a kid. I like it for all the reasons you like it. It's really cool period piece from its own period. So everything is authentic. And that shows, I feel like. Yeah. You know, they, they shot in Downingtown in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And that old theater is still there, I'm pretty sure. But um, you the scenes when they're outside in the town, you it's like that's how everything looked. And the supermarket, that's how everything looked then. And They had a sign in the window, four cents per pound for watermelons. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of fun stuff like that in there if, if you're looking around. So, yeah, it, really fun for all those reasons. Steve McQueen's first film, playing 10 years younger than he was at the time. It's pretty funny. I really enjoyed it, and I do like, as far as, uh, especially for the era, like space monster ideas go, you know, that's a good one. Yeah. Because it's, it's like nothing else that we know of. And it's so alien. And you can't communicate with it. You can't understand it. And all it wants to do is devour. Yeah. And, and I think as a, as a kid, that terrified me. And I think it's a terrifying concept and a, and a great idea for a movie monster. Really fun. As a podcast that's stuck on an escape pod, I kind of have to wonder, though, does this count as sci-fi? That is a good question. I thought about that I, as we were watching it, because it's, it's meant to be a, a scary movie. I guess the only sci-fi aspect is that it came from outer space. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it is sci-fi. I guess it's technically not. It's that weird liminal space where sci-fi and horror can kind of cross, but it's, it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's decidedly not really a sci-fi movie. Yeah, I mean, if, if you make a Venn diagram, you know, there's some over, there's a tiny sliver of overlap with sci-fi, mm-hmm. but you got to have more than that 5% or 1%. Yeah, agreed, agreed. However, good just the same, and I, I would recommend for anyone who's never seen the original, I know there's a 1988 remake that I don't really recall. Yeah, I don't remember. I never saw it. 
I think they kind of redo most of the good scenes from it. I think there's a movie theater scene, et cetera. And I think maybe I conflate some of my memories of that movie theater scene with this one. Well, now comes a time in our program when we must decide our next view. That's right. All right. So I suggest that since we're, we just did this movie about an invader from outer space that plops down that is a unthinking devourer, why don't we try something similar, a crossover also of science fiction and horror from 20 years later, the remake of the original with Leonard Nimoy and Donald Sutherland. This will be 1978's D. Philip Kaufman directed Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That'll be fun. I'm going to write it down so I remember. I have memories of this one, too, that are pretty freaky. We'll see if this one qualifies as science fiction or not. What do you say, pal? I think I'm ready to go back into my stasis chamber. Sounds good. Take your pills. For uh, Ryan Eggleston and Nathan Hendler, you've been listening to The Escape Pod. Thank you to Golden Boots for doing our theme song. and uh, That's our only credit right now. Right. Falling star, please make your sign tonight. Falling star, if you will shine tonight. Thank you for listening to The Escape Pod, and thanks to Golden Boots for our theme song. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on the internet. Email us at scifiescapepod at gmail.com. New episodes come out every other Wednesday. Thanks. Bye.